I'd like for you to open your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5 or 6. Okay. We have been going through the Sermon on the Mount, and now we come to Matthew chapter 7. We'll read through 6. It says, Do not judge lest you be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by the standard measure, it, has, it will be measured to you. And why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? And behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly and take the speck out of your Be able to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, just want to thank you for this time that you've allotted us to come together as a, a group to worship you in spirit and in truth. And I pray that if any of us that are here today that might be convicted by you and see that we are in need of a Savior, that we'll be willing to submit our lives to you and accept you as Lord and Savior today. For us who are uh, believers in Jesus Christ, I pray that this passage will speak to our hearts. But Lord, it's a um, very controversial passage, and I just pray that, that you'll reveal the truth. Help us to see the balanced truth within this passage. And this can only occur by the Holy Spirit opening up our minds and our hearts to your word. I pray that you'll guard each and every word that I say. And and Lord, that you'll have me say what you would uh, desire for me to. And I pray that uh, you will deal with our hearts because only you can the way that you so desire to. And may we rejoice in leaving this place knowing that We've been in your house, we've worshipped you, and we've experienced you in a very special and unique and and wonderful way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a hard passage for me because I want to tell you, all of us, I don't care who we are, we judge. Now, I don't care what you say, but we judge. We've judged it sometime or another. Let me explain says, judge not lest you be judged. Now, how many times have you heard this in today in our postmodern, post-Christian era that I don't judge, I don't believe in it? You see, a, a lack of judgment or non-judgmentalism is a problem today. This has become the moral motto of the day. Don't judge. Many today will will say that. They'll say, I don't judge. Well, that sounds good, but is it true? I want us to think about it just for a moment. Let's just think about not judging. Do you, do I make moral judgments every day? 
don't we? Example, let's say that we have children and we need a babysitter. Do you think that you're not going to check out the babysitter to see what kind of babysitter it is? Is that not a moral judgment? You're not going to hire some kind of a child molester and let them come in and take care of your children. But that is a moral judgment, isn't it? Not only that, but, uh, you know, you, you take a business transaction. Now, I'll tell you what, you better check that out, right? And you better check out the people that you're dealing with. Otherwise, you're going to be in a heap of trouble. And you may be in a heap of trouble even after you check them out. But you make a moral judgment. We do it all the time. Getting married. You want to choose the right person, don't you? Certainly do. And the preacher wants to try and help you choose the right person. Your parents want to help you choose the right person. You make moral judgments. And with your children. where As we talked about last week. Uh, you know, where last Sunday night. Where to send our, our children. Uh, the right schools. The right place. All this. Life requires making moral judgments, and God expects it. Amen? Well, okay, oh me. It should be noted that this passage has erroneously been used to suggest that be believers should never evaluate or criticize anyone for anything. You know, living in a culture that hates absolutes Many Christians resist dogmatism and strong convictions concerning right and wrong. They instead prefer to speak of all the inclusive love, compromise, and unity that they think is deserved here in this country and in the world. Those who stand up for what is right and have strong convictions, they're branded. They're branded as being judgmental. But the Bible teaches us, along with history, that there has been no time in history of the church or ancient Israel where spiritual and moral reformation was achieved apart from confrontation and conflict. Never. It doesn't mean... <clears throat> That they came about without resistance. Matter of fact, they have always been resisted, and unfortunately, oftentimes by God's own people. So, reformation is needed when spiritual and moral life are low. But in but to the carnal person, absolute doctrine and high moral standards are inherently controversial Christ knows this and his entire thrust his entire thrust of the Sermon on the Mount is to show the complete distinction between true religion and false religion between spiritual truth and spiritual hypocrisy that's his whole thrust so what is Jesus teaching is he teaching us to adopt a non-judgmental posture? Well, yes and no. 
there needs to be a balance. And we've got to learn that. And it's hard to learn, isn't it? As we'll look at it, it's very hard to learn. What Jesus is teaching his disciples is that there is a difference between moral judgment and judgmentalism. We need to see the necessity of moral judgment and the danger of judgmentalism. The main theme from these two is the danger of judgmentalism. This is what Jesus is trying to bring before his disciples and those who are hearers of the word here. The illusion of self-righteousness is a temptation for all. We like to play that game. In this passage, Jesus, though, forbids self-righteous, hasty, unmerciful, unwarranted condemnation based on human standards and human understanding. In other words, we better be looking at God's principles and what he teaches. Even as a church, when you have to judge and you have to implement discipline. Jesus gives three reasons why such judgment is sinful. First of all, it gives an incorrect view of God. Let's just look at it. Do not judge lest you be judged in verse 1. He commanded his followers not to judge others. And he used a Greek negative there, a participle, with the present imperative, which is a command here. And what he's saying there is, as many commentators say, is stop judging. In other words, it was, they were experiencing this. He was implementing something and talking about something that has, was already going on with especially the Pharisees, weren't they? And so the word to judge, though, means to separate, to choose, to select, to determine, with a half a dozen other meanings to it also. So what does that say? Well, it says that you better find out how the word is used then to get the correct meaning in its context, right? Context is the key. So the key contextual focus here. What is it? Well, he's been contrasting the Pharisees with his kingdom and his kingdom living. And so what is he talking about here? He's warning by referring to judging, having judgmentalism, and that is judging somebody's motive. We cannot judge somebody's motive, can we? There's no way you can. Romans 14, 13, Paul tells us, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this. Not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. And so unrighteousness and unmerciful judgment is forbidden. It's forbidden because why? Because it manifests a wrong view of God. In other words, when we start judging people and their motives, we don't know everything that's going on, do we? We don't know what's going on in their heart. We don't know their background. We don't know what, what, how they were raised, what, what's been happening in their life. And so a lot of times our judgment is without mercy. And we give the wrong view of God. It, aren't you great that God in his grace and mercy 
has forgiven us. Otherwise, we'd be struck dead as sinners. Amen? I mean, that's correct. Jesus told his followers and those listening, do not judge lest you be judged. And in this last part, lest you be judged, Jesus was reminding his hearers, and especially the Pharisees, that they were not the final court. God is the final judge. So for not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son in John 5, 22. So we blaspheme God when we take upon ourselves the role of judge. And all of us have played that game, unfortunately. It says, who are you to judge the servant of another? In Romans 14, 4. The sin of judgmentalism is so dangerous because, and this is the key, I believe, because we believe we can not only judge a person's behavior, but we presume that we can judge their heart. And that's the danger of it. We don't know a person's heart. So scripture tells us that only God can do that. We're not capable of that. I don't know your heart. You don't know my heart. But haven't we done that before? This is one of the problems of putting people on a sin scale. We put them on our own sin scale. We can always look better than them on that scale. And we all like to do that. We all like to look good, don't we? And so we put them on a scale and we say, well, I'm better than this person because look at what they're doing. We can always find somebody that's worse off than we on our scale, the way we're looking at it. And we're not to judge because we cannot judge the heart, except to know that each heart is dark. That is the key. Each heart is dark in need of a Savior. We can know that. And we can see a person who is in need of a Savior and share with them about Christ, but we can't tell whether when they accept Christ or not whether they really have whether it's just been a prayer that they agreed to pray with us or or join the church or whatever we don't know only God knows we can tell by their lifestyle pretty much they give behavior examples to us you and I do the same thing as to well are we acting like a Christian or not but we don't know the heart though do we so we can't judge that heart. Only God can. So many times we judge without mercy. We forget what God has done for us. We can always look better than other people, but when we do, when we're putting them on our scale, we're forgetting about what God has done for us. And that is he's forgiven us. In his mercy, he didn't give us what we deserved. In his grace, he gave us what we certainly needed and we're forgetting what God has done for us when we do that with other people the Lord is not suggesting that we abandon the use of critical facility of our minds no he, he, we know that there later on in in Matthew he'll teach about uh, dealing with a sinning brother and he'll be talking about how when he sets when we set up the church how to deal with them so he's not doing that. He's not condemning scriptural criticism. He's not, uh, you know, condemning that in the least. Instead, 
It is spiteful criticism that the Lord has in mind here. It doesn't mean to do away with the legal system either. In fact, in Romans, Paul emphasizes our obedience to the legal system. Jesus is not calling for his followers to seize from examining and discerning. That is something that we should do in the spirit of discernment. But to renounce the presumptuous temptation to try to be God. And people do play that role sometimes. I'm afraid that probably if we look at all of our lives, we've probably done that at one time or another. Set ourselves up in that way. So it gives an incorrect view of God. God's the only one that can do that. And then also it gives an incorrect view of others. Look in verse 2. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Now, I won't start with a mind blower here. For in a way you judge, you will be judged. In other words, don't set yourself up as superior. But Jesus taught his disciples to be morally superior, didn't he? He teaches us to. Just think about it. How are we to live? We're to live in a superior way above the natural way of this world. The key, though, is not including a proud and judgmental attitude in being superior here. The reason is that it's Christ's moral superior character that takes root in our heart when we are transformed by Christ. By the Holy Spirit. And whatever righteousness that becomes evident in our life is not our righteousness, it's God's righteousness as we're conforming to the image of Christ. This is why there's no reason really for us to be proud, is it? We're not to be proud. Well, look at me, I'm superior, I'm a Christian. No. So this morally superior attitude is. A humble attitude, realizing what Christ is doing in your life. And without him, it couldn't, it couldn't happen. But some people don't see it that way. They, uh, they act superior. And they instead find their calling to be a calling of fault finding in others. And God never has given that calling, has he? That's not a calling from God. They always reveal in, in finding iniquity so they can, uh, so they think, uh, you know, that they're better and it makes them look better. The old nature seems to delight in this type of sin. I mean, you just look at TV and what's on TV. You look at what's on news and, and in the newspaper and magazines and on internet. People are putting down other people all the time. Many people buy that kind of uh, material and buy into that kind of thinking so, just so to delight in sin. It makes them feel better when we compare ourselves to other people that we're judging. It makes us usually feel better. You can always find someone, as I mentioned earlier, that's in a worse condition on your scale as you are. And that makes you feel better. Romans 2, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, 
you're without excuse. Every man of you who passes judgment, for in that you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. So, God has no double standards here. In criticizing unjustly or condemning unmercifully, we play God and we give the impression that we ourselves are above criticism. I've done it, you've done it, we've all done it. But God sets none of us as final judge above others. We dare not set ourselves as judge above others. Other people are not under us, and to think that is to think wrongly, to be gossipy, if that's a word, tell-bearing, critical, judgmental. That's to live under the false illusion that those who we judge are somehow inferior to us, and they're not. But man struggles with that in his own nature. And we want to look better than other people. When we're judgmental, when we're critical towards another, we're failing to be Christ-like. There's no other way around it. Uh, The verbs being in the present tense means that it's an ongoing attitude on the part of the individual who is fault-finding. That one who is criticizing. So Jesus tells us to uh, stop having this judgmental spirit that is always harsh and negative and delights in finding garbage of others and lights in on it and rubbles in it. You ever notice a buzzard? They fly around, boy, they can fly over a beautiful lake. They can fly over streams that are flowing that look so wonderful. They can fly over gorgeous little animals, pretty trees, and never notice them. But I want to tell you, once they see some dead meat, some rotten flesh, they delight in that. They rejoice. And they find it great rubbling in it. It's like Trivial Pursuit. Have you ever played Trivial Pursuit? It's a game that, that can give you a big head. <laughs> because you know a lot about a lot of insignificant things. I won. Well, these Christians that play this Trivial Pursuit... In regard to others, try to find out all the trash, all the little things, all the things that are insignificant, picky, really amounts to nothing, and they get the big head. They stick their necks up high, strut around like a peacock, saying, I know this and I know that about this person. Or have you heard this or that about so-and-so? Jesus tells us, if you belong to him, then your life should change. That's what he's telling us in these verses, specifically with regard to your tongue and in regard to 
the judgmental attitude and your critical spirit. Such judgment is boomerang. It's a boomerang. You ever thrown a boomerang and it come back? By that I mean it comes back on the same person who judges. Do you remember the book of Esther? When Haman had erected the, the gallows to execute innocent Mordecai? What happened? Instead he was hung on. In Esther 7. It's dangerous to judge, to be judgmental. The reason because by the standard of measure with which he judges others, it will be measured to him, he says. Jesus telling us the same measure you use to, to judge, to evaluate, and to criticize others will be used to judge, to, value, to evaluate, and criticize you. But the old nature loves it. And this is a struggle that we have. You see, when we're born again, we have a new nature within us. I mean, we are new creations, but does that do away with the old nature? No. And so this is why we struggle as Christians. And we struggle with this kind of thing. You say, why in the world do I still do this? Because you have not learned to surrender to the Lord in that area. And there are, you know, um, strongholds built in your life in that area that need to be torn down and probably need to be torn down over and over again. And so in turn, we all have those strongholds in our life. We need to watch out. A lot of times, though, we don't call judgmentalism judgmentalism. We call it spiritual evaluation. Jesus is telling us, this will be a boomerang to you. The old nature loves to gossip. Oh, by the way, did you hear about uh, member so-and-so the other day? Oh, no, I'm just kidding. Our flesh loves to promote gossip. We like to have juicy gossip to share and, and to have someone to listen to it. It's something within our old nature that enjoys that scrumptious uh, gossip feast that says, oh, wow, that's, that, that's tasty. We hear something juicy and our eyes open wide and our heads raise up and our ears perk up. And we say, pray tell, do share more so I can know how to pray more specifically. Remember, we need to remember this, that anyone who will come to you and talk about someone else will leave you. And go to others and talk about you. I guarantee you that. We're told by Christ not to have this mean, critical, evil spirit in conversation about us. Because the same mean, critical way you lay it out about others is the same way you will lay it, have it laid out about you. So the third incorrect view and we're just going to talk about this briefly and I'll leave it and we'll close and we'll talk about it more next week with the correct view it gives an incorrect view of ourselves 
And why do you, in verses 3 through 5, the first part of 5, and why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. Wow. How many times have I been a hypocrite? See, when we judge critically, we also manifest an erroneous view of ourselves. When we put ourselves in the place of God as judge, then we pervert our perspective of others and ourselves. Now, as I said, this is a self-righteous type of judgment. I'm not talking about judgment that he's going to be talking about that needs to deal with sin. It doesn't mean that we should stop being discerning. It just means that we're to look at the judgment that we have and examine it before we say anything. And take it to the Lord first. Examine ourselves and see if our spirit is right and if the right motive is there and then Take the right steps in dealing with it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you.